0: All right, well, it is, our, it is Christmas Eve. It's time for our Advent calendar. You forgot your book. I forgot my book, guys. Here it is, 1224, right? Okay. Let me pray. God, we are grateful for this day, for this weekend, as we've already experienced Uh, some of your presence, your coming. And we uh, we see it. We see it in your word. It's clear of the coming of the Christ child. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, born that we might live. Because he'll die for us. Those little hands, that little body, would be sacrificed for us. And Lord Jesus, we wait for your second coming, for your return. And just pray that you would... Help us be ready doing what you want us to do in in whatever work you call us uh, to accomplish for your sake and your glory. In your name, amen. For God said, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ." 2 Corinthians 4, 6. So why do we light the fifth candle? The fifth candle shows us that it, the waiting is over. Jesus the Messiah is born. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, Merry Christmas, Zion. It's good to see you all. We, uh, this is the first of our two Christmas gatherings, Christmas Eve gatherings, so you're welcome to come again tomorrow night. We'll do some similar songs, but we will also, what did I say this afternoon? Oh, well, tonight, 7.30, uh, and, and join us for that, 6.30. Hey, welcome, Zion. Merry Christmas. Glad to see you. This is the first of our second gathering for today. We'll meet at 6.30 tonight. I'm glad we got that on tape, too, didn't we? Uh, Yeah, so 6.30 tonight. Hey, I don't know if you were here Friday for the concert. Wow! Wow! That was fantastic, and so they're actually wanting to come here again, uh, and we don't know. I have no details of, the, of when this orchestra would come back. Uh, the place was packed, and so we'll, we'll let you know, but they, they, they said this was perfect for us. It's like, okay, and so they're going to hopefully join us later on, maybe in the spring-summer as well. Hey, I gave you homework last week, and I didn't remind you. I just left it up to you. You were supposed to define the word incarnate now if you missed the assignment or you didn't do it you could still get partial credit but (laughs) did anyone do that did anyone look up the word incarnate what did you get Kathy do you remember God God in human flesh any others Steve I see I see you nodding any any others no one wants to speak out loud it does, we do celebrate the incarnation. It's a, it's a Bible term. It's a churchy word. But anything really can be incarnate. Uh, we, we can talk about something that is made human or physical. So it, it's used outside of church context. So for example, you might hear someone say, well, Adolf Hitler was the incarnation of evil. Uh, it's, it's something inhuman, something real. In a broader sense, again, it's made physical. It's, act, it's an act of creation. And my prayer and hope in today, today and later tonight is for us to see not just what happened, but specifically who. We want to focus on Jesus. And so we're going to look at uh, two passages. We'll be in Colossians 1 today and then John 1 tonight. And I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering how Trish is going to explain this to the little kids to, to downstairs right now. But uh, because this is a jammed pack passage, it is just like, it's going to like fall through the floor. It's so deep. So let's get started, though, in Jesus as creator in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He, that's Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. <sighs> wow, that's a guy. That is a... That is a incredible, mind-blowing person. He is, first of all, Paul writes here, he's the image of the invisible God. And that word image we, is the word icon. It's where we get our word icon, obviously. And it it is the same word that Jesus used when they asked him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? One of those times they tried to trip him up. And he said, well, whose icon, whose image is on the coin? And it It's saying the same thing. He is the image. He's the representation of God. If we had a picture of George Washington here and someone spat upon it, that would be disrespectful, even though it's it's just a physical object. But there's an image of someone who most people consider to be very heroic. And so it, it is important to see that image represents someone. You see this as well, and we again see it tonight in John 1.1. The exegetical Greek New Testament says, In the exalted Christ, the unknowable God becomes known. We can see him. He makes the invisible seen. And Jesus is not just an icon or an image of God. He is the ideal representation of God himself. He is the original image that was lost way, way back in Genesis 3 in something we call the fall. Because Adam and Eve were created in God's image, as we are in God's image. But due to sin and their disobedience, we, it's been tainted, it's been tarnished. And so but Jesus on the other hand he's he's like incarn or he's like creation 2.0. He's he's trying to he he's resetting everything. He is the perfect image of God. And it says here uh, and there's there's a little bit of confusion on this verse cuz it says the first um, born of all creation and some people have determined Whoa, he's the first thing created, meaning to put Jesus as a creature. But as we will see later in this passage, he's clearly creator. So, what does it mean to be the firstborn of all creation? And in, in, from this context in this verse, the, the words mean more of pre-existent, or people would say preeminent, or in a little bit s- you know, smaller syllables, takes first place. He is, he is the one who takes first place over everything. It's really a claim to his sovereignty and who he is. Uh, I'll read a couple other verses real quickly here. Romans 8, 29 says, for those he, he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, sovereign over them. Hebrews 1, 6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. God doesn't give his worship to others. He doesn't ever say or command people to worship anything but himself. Uh, so, but when he's speaking of the Son, which is what Hebrews 1 is doing, it's perfectly appropriate. He is the creator of all things. Of, first of all, of heaven and earth. And Paul has a big list here. He lists physical things. Earth, the universe, everything that we see, and also the spiritual world. Both of those things are real. Right now, we're here experiencing the physical world. But there's also a very spiritual world that's, that's around us and, and has a, 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 is not bound by time, for example. But when we, when we die, then we're very much in the spiritual world. We are in the presence of the Lord. Paul says these are visible and invisible. And then he, he has a whole list of these kind of authorities. He talks about thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. And some people try to make a lot of this list. And I I read it quickly on purpose because I want us to see it's, he's not trying to say, to to draw distinctions necessarily between what's a throne and what's a dominion. He's, He's really just trying to be all inclusive of any authority, any authority is under him. What, regardless of what it is so trying to say well this has to do with this kind of angel and that kind of angel and people trying to be real specific i think it's missing the point it's just showing the span of jesus's authority all things and, and on a side note theological side note in matthew chapter 4 jesus is tempted by satan and Satan says, you bow to me, I'll give you all of these thrones and powers. And Jesus says, no. I mean, they're going to be his. They're going to be restored to him anyway. All, thi- all things, all means all. All things are through him and for him. He is before all things. That, and when, he said, when Paul writes that, he's being emphatic. He himself is before all things. And then this one, this idea of he holds all things together. Now, I'm not a physicist, but I know a little bit. Chemistry. When you look at a periodic table of the elements, and they all have numbers, you know, the one, two, three, and they they count, I think it's, I don't know, it's like 127. What that means is you get the hydrogen element, and every element has one atom, But the one for hydrogen means there's one electron spinning around it. Helium, that is a two. One atom, two electrons spinning around it. Physicists can tell us a little bit about positive and negative charges attracting and everything. But how is it that these electrons don't go spinning off into oblivion? We're made of atoms. Chemicals. How is it that we just don't like spin off? And you want a bigger, a bigger idea of this? Look at our solar systems. You got the sun, and then you have planets that are spinning around the sun. How is it that they don't spin off or collapse into the sun? If this is what Paul means of the universe holding together, it's my guess. He's holding all the atoms, all the universes, all the galaxies, holding it all together. That's who we're talking about here. This is not just a nice person. This is not even an angelic person. This is a man of incredible, a being of incredible authority and power. He's holding all these things together. This is who came to earth. Is your mind blown yet? If you understand this, you're lying. It's a ama- it is just it's hard to wrap our minds around this. Paul goes on. Verse 18. And he says he, again speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, again first For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Christ. So he, he, uh, cross, sorry. So he he says, you know, first of all, Jesus is over all authorities, but now he's gonna be specific and talk about the church, both the universal church that exists all over the world down to our church. He is the head. We look to him for direction, for where, what he wants us to do. The church is often described in the New Testament as a body. Well, he's the brain. He's the one that calls the shots. He's the one that makes it move as it wants it to move. He's in charge and the supreme authority. When we went through experiencing God a few weeks ago, that was one of the key things that we saw, that, that he is the head of the church. He is the one that, that guides us and leads us and, and gives us direction both individually and as a church. It's, it's interesting when you think of the, the, the body, a church being a body, and we could draw some analogies. When I had shoulder surgery, uh, they did a, a, a block. Of, it, they put it in my neck, and I had the experience of not being able to feel my arm. Or move it at all. You know, when you get you get Novocaine, you can kind of still kind of still feel you know your mouth and your tongue, but it felt like it didn't exist. I was pinching as hard as I could. My arm couldn't feel, couldn't even feel the pressure on my hand. And my brain, and I was trying to make it move, and I was going, like, oh, you can use the horse. <laughs> it, it wouldn't move. And and sometimes when we're when we're doing things, when we're um, uh, you know, creating something or cooking or, or playing an instrument or whatever, it's just our brain is in charge of what our limbs are doing. When we're walking, whatever it is, our brain's controlling all that. And the church needs to have that same kind of obedience to the head that it's going to move as, as, as he calls it to do. He, if he's over all, everything, then guess what? He's in charge of us too. He is also the first one from the dead. He led the way. Now, what this doesn't mean is that he's the first one resurrected. He's not. Because in, in the Old Testament, I can't remember now if it was Elisha or Elijah, but one of them resurrected a little boy, a son of a, son of a widow. So he was the first one record, recorded. And of course, there's Lazarus, there's others. Well, the only thing with them is they had to die again. I don't know what that was like. (laughs) Having gone through death, how do you feel going through it a second time? But they died again. They didn't defeat death themselves. But Jesus is the first one, the firstborn of the dead to defeat it. And he still lives to this day. He still sits on the throne. Let's do another quick little theological bunny trail. Because God promised David, he said, you're always going to have a son to sit on your throne. There'll always be a son, which meant that his line would never run out. You're, you're, going, to have, you're going to have Solomon, and then he's going to have a kid. He's going to have a kid. He's going to have a kid. And, he, and it's going to go all the way down. Joseph was actually in the line to be king. He was, he, if they would have had a king, he would have been it. Why do they need to keep having sons? Because people die. It's very practical. They need, you need to have someone who's there who will be the heir to take over. But see, with Jesus, he stopped dying. So he didn't need to have a kid. I don't care what Don, what is it, Dan Brown says. Jesus didn't need to have a son because he stopped dying. He is sitting, we know from Hebrews 1, he's sitting on the throne now. Forever. And so God kept his promise to David that he would always have a son. This is Jesus the Lord. We, and, and we need him to be this defeater of death. Because if he didn't come out of the grave, if he didn't empty the tomb on Easter, then what hope is there for us? We all have this death problem. We all have this sin problem. He's our confidence. He went first before it. He's the firstborn from the dead. And then he says very clearly, this is the one who is God in the flesh. The fullness of God says, so so nothing left out resides in him. Nothing less than God was not in Jesus. The fullness of God reconciled him to us. And then he's, he goes on and talks about this reconciliation. You know what that, you know what that word means? When there's, when there's a problem between two people, between two groups, you can have reconciliation. You know, Britain used to be our enemy, right? But over history, we've reconciled, and now we're allies. Same thing with Japan. We're allies. Same thing with Germany. We're allies now. We've reconciled our differences. Maybe you've had that experience with a family member, with uh, a neighbor, with a friend, where you kind of had a falling out. But over time, and maybe through some confession and forgiveness, there's been a reconciliation. Well, we, because of our sin, not just what Adam and Eve did, but our own sin, we were enemies of God. And we'll see that in a little bit. But he made peace. He says he made peace for everything. Romans 8 tells us that creation is groaning. It's waiting for us, that reconciliation, that restoration to be complete. Jesus did that. Did it in his flesh. He had to be a person. You know, in the Old Testament, there are very clear indications that Jesus appeared. Uh, there's this guy, one guy named Melchizedek. It's Jesus in a form, but not human flesh. He appeared, kind of like, presumably, an angel would do, where an angel, like they appeared to the shepherds. They're not human, they're just appearing. They're, they're making themselves seen. Well, so this Melchizedek and others were, were times where Jesus would appear in the Old Testament. But he wasn't human. He was just an appearance, except Christmas. He was fully human, and he reconciled us through his sacrifice. He had to be that. He made peace as man to God. To be our representative, to be another human, he, he, he had to be human. He had to be flesh and blood. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He, he got hungry. He Uh, Got sad, he experienced all the emotions that we do. He was fully, fully human. Our representative. His death was a real death. He was dead, he was gone. But he also was resurrected. And see, this is why Christmas, the incarnation, is so important. Because it's it's actually him. The The humanness uh, there, there are some her- heresies through the years who've said, well, he was just a, he was all God. Well, he was all God, but he's also all man. But then, so he he reconciled as men, reconciling us back to God, but also as God to man. He says, we're, he, he, Paul writes here that we are going to be uh, made righteous, we're gonna be made uh, right. Actually, I'm gonna get to that passage, but As he is holy and righteous, then God can now interact with us again. We're not that way, but he is. He's also the reconciler. I hope hope your circuits are just spitting out of control and sparking all over the place of who we're talking about. Jesus is also reconciler. And you, y'all, everybody, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled, there's that word again, in his body, the flesh, by his death, his real death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Indeed, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope that of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Our distance from him is very far, from God. Remember, he's creator. He's in the spiritual realm. He's absolutely, completely holy, blameless, wonderful, all-powerful, all-everything. And Paul says we are alienated. Another word for alienated is banished. You've been kicked out. You're not able to come back into the fold. Hostile, we were hostile to God. I relate to that because I was very hostile to God before I came to know him and doing evil. But he reconciled us. Even though we didn't deserve it, even though we weren't good on our own, even the good people, in fact, good people I think are more lost than really bad people because a lot of good people don't know that they're lost. They're just relying on their goodness while God, he did this in the flesh, we had to have, as I said before, another Adam. And Romans talks about Jesus being the, the second Adam. This is a restart. Man in God's image 2.0. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Do sometime, read, read Genesis 3 and Matthew 4 together. And compare the two temptations. For, for Adam, you want this honey? Sure. In the garden, no worries. Everything they wanted. Perfect weather. No pressure. Jesus was in the desert. He was hungry. He was alone. And he went toe to toe with the enemy. He defeated him once and for all. He was successful. Why? And then finally, and finally facing the cross. That was very easily another temptation. Jesus didn't want to go through the cross. He, he asked God. He prays. God, if there's another way, let's do that. And then realized there wasn't another way. Your will be done, Lord. And went through all that torture for ours. Why? To present us holy. Instead of Adam, who presents us sinful... He gave us he gave us the opportunity to become holy. I, I thought of this example and, and I don't think it's too off the mark, but you know, we, we have a lot of roadkill, right? And there are times you don't even see it, you smell it first, right? Just, whew, that one's ripe. Or it's a mango, we were on the highway the other day, just mangled messes. I think that used to be a deer. When we smell something like that. It's just, oh, it's, it's just a horrible smell. Oh, awful. When it comes to our sin, God abhors it. He just, oh, disgusting. But what Jesus did is he somehow made us new. Made us, as it says in other passages, alive again, no longer smelly. I can't imagine... A piece of smelly roadkill looking like a, a cute little fawn again. But that's what he did. That's what we're talking about here at Christmas. That's what his death did. That's what his personhood did, is he made us alive again to present us blameless. No one that means no one can point fingers at us, unblemished, faultless before God. All, uh, the, other, the other term he says is above reproach, which is another way of saying no one can blackmail, blackmail us. You know how to prevent blackmail? There are two ways. One, don't do anything stupid. Number two, if, if you do, make it known yourself. If, 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 a, if a man had an affair and someone tried to, I'm going to tell your wife, then you know what you do, guy? You go tell your wife yourself. No more blackmail. (laughs) Because it's out there. It's open. And and that way, and, and this above reproach means no one can point fingers. No one can say an accusation. All of these three things that he did to present us holy, to present us blameless, to present us above reproach are all in God's sight. So who gives a rip what anyone else says? Who cares what the enemy, the devil says in making accusations? Even if his accusations are true. Well, they thought this, and they did that, and this is the way they talk to each other. And Jesus says, I know, but I took care of it. They're above reproach. That sin is paid for. Is this for real? It's, It's for real. It's proven over time. Okay, I'm not done trying to scatter our circuits here. Church tradition recognizes December 25th. As the birthday of Jesus. There are 365 days. They probably picked the wrong day. Sorry. But it's just, it's what we do. It's okay that we, we've, we keep that day as a reminder of the incarnation. But chances are, it's another day. And, and it's scriptural to remember his birthday it's in luke it's in matthew it's, it's it's all over but there's something else so so if if you're looking thinking of a baby encompassed in all of deity encompassed in this little baby think about 9 months earlier when did that happen so now we're talking about, and I don't, I don't know exactly how God did this, except he took some of Mary's DNA and some other DNA and weaved them and made Jesus. One cell. And some debate when the deity became inside. If it wasn't in the conception, I don't know when it was. We're not told. But could it be that All that fullness of deity was in that one cell. And as it divided in two and four and eight and so forth. How do you do that? Folks, he's God in human flesh. That's who we're dealing with. And then to think to, to be growing inside Mary's womb. Mary understood it. Elizabeth understood it. Joseph later understood it. Charles Spurgeon said this, I just read this earlier this week. It is a miracle of miracles that the infinite should become an infant. It is a miracle of miracles that the infinite should become an infinite. Remember today, with all the things, you know, we, have, we, have, we got dinners, we got, you know, times and presents, and all the other things that we're doing. we do to celebrate the arrival, not of a holiday, but the arrival of a person. I have a few suggestions for you. Some of these might seem a little trite, but maybe they'll have some meaning for you to remember that we're talking about a person. And some of you may already do these. How about making a birthday cake for Jesus? We're celebrating it. We're remembering it. He's a person. We celebrate a person's birthday. Some, of you, some, some people take time of what they, or money of what they would have spent on some of their presents, and they, they give it to something Jesus would like, like to the poor and needy. That's an opportunity as well. Uh, this past week, I also was listening to a podcast on Santa. And the author of the podcast said, you know what, St. Nicholas, that Santa's based off of, was a pretty cool guy. He, he helped kids because he loved Jesus. Maybe do some, Google it, check it out, find a book about St. Nicholas and see what he did. And then another idea is to, to especially before presents, <laughs> but to read the Christmas story, Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2, or even John chapter 1. Folks, when we pray, we're praying to a person and not a force. We're talking about not a holiday. Not a tradition. But a person. Can we pray together now? Let's, let's first of all praise him that he is God incarnate. Real. For reals. He, he proved it over and over. He claimed he was. The God the Father said he was. And the apostles and the disciples said he was. And they died for that. He is God incarnate. And then also as a matter of praise, he's reconciled us to God. He's the only one in history who could do that. And then maybe you want to pray for someone that they would see Jesus for who he is this Christmas. And I want to invite you. I'm going to, we, you know, after we're done here today... Um, to hang around just a little bit up front probably around eleven forty-five ish or so and and if there's someone specific you want to pray for maybe they're coming tonight but they don't have to be coming tonight uh, uh someone else that you want to specifically pray for this holiday season we'll just we'll just be up here in a, in a group and and remember them today and bring them before the throne so again we'll, it'll just come later after we're all done um let's start praying If you want to pray out loud, you're certainly welcome to. Uh, But if you're not praying out loud, then pray quietly with us. Let's pray. you, King Jesus, mm-hmm. can we have some joy? Can we, yes. We don't understand it, we don't get it, but we do know mm-hmm. that we're able to come to the throne room. It was it was mm-hmm. the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders that, that had to go to the Holy of Holies, that had to have that high priest, they realized the heaviness of it all, the dangerousness of being in the presence of God. But you, mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, rip that veil. You are the light of the world, mm-hmm. and you're coming again. So mm-hmm. we praise you, and we want joy. Baptize us with your spirit. May we have understanding and boldness in this and share this it. That, that mm-hmm. We didn't see it with our own eyes. We didn't see the resurrected Jesus, but you made it known to us for me. Mm-hmm. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. You, Lord Jesus, came from all eternity And deposited your glory. You weren't one or the other. You were all man and you're all God. We acknowledge that. We preach that. And we know that you indeed are God incarnate. If we want to see the invisible God, Lord Jesus, we look to you. You've revealed him. And you've also reconciled us. And so we are grateful. We are praising you. God, I think of my own brothers and sisters now, who many who do not know you. And they're celebrating Christmas, and they have a tree, and they're unwrapping presents probably later tonight. And uh, But Lord, they're, they're not remembering the person. So I pray, God, in some way or opportunity to, to interact with them, as many of us call each other on Christmas Day, that that it would be clear to them that you are our reconciler. You are our God. You are the one who has all authority, not us. We're not even, we don't even have authority over our own bodies and flesh and lives. It is you. So God, I pray for also for, for many who are thinking at this moment, maybe sons and daughters and, or spouses or siblings, parents, grandparents, uh, that they are praying for at this moment. And so we, we, we beseech you, God, we come to you. We're not going to give up praying for them. We're going to be that persistent widow and keep bringing them to your throne to recognize Jesus as the one and only God-man who died for us. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel, for your message. Thank you for this reminder for Christmas season in your name. Amen. So tonight, 6.30, uh, if, you, if you were thinking, oh, I kept forgetting to bring coffee or something for the vets, that's your last chance. It's being delivered tomorrow morning uh, on Christmas Day. So just a reminder for that. Uh, and again, be different, we will, we'll cover John some verses from John chapter 1, some similar songs, but also we'll do our, our tradition, our church tradition is we'll sing Silent Night and do the Candlelight uh, time as well. So uh, everyone's invited uh, uh, for, the, for that uh, opportunity. Next week is New Year's Eve, next Sunday, and so we'll have an abbreviated worship time We'll preview a little bit of 2024, what uh, we're, we're hoping and planning to do and see. We'll have some time of prayer and also our potluck. Uh, so please bring something to share. Uh, the fridge downstairs is, is on and available if you need to come in and put something in the fridge. And then also we're going to do our white elephant gift tradition. So bring some, don't buy anything, but bring it, uh, wrap it. Uh, and again, you, you, you're going to if you bring two gifts, you're going to take two home. If you bring one per family, you'll take one home, uh, just so that's really clear. And uh, we, ha- we have a lot of fun with that, especially when we start trading and stealing and all those funds. I hope that's biblical for us to steal from each other. Um, and then, again, just as a reminder, if you want to meet me up here, uh, we'll pray for some specific names to bring before the throne. Let's continue worship.